Chapter Eight of Religio Medici and Hydrotaphia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Religio Medici by Thomas Brown, Part Two, Section Seven through Fifteen. Section Seven. To do no injury nor take none was a principle which to my former years and impatient affections seemed to contain enough of morality but my more settled years and christian constitution have fallen upon severer resolutions i can hold there is no such things as injury that if there be there is no such injury as revenge and no such revenge as the contempt of an injury that to hate another is to malign himself that the truest way to love another is to despise ourselves i were unjust unto mine own conscience if i should say i am at variance with anything like myself i find there are many pieces in this one fabric of man this frame is raised upon a mass of antipathies i am one methinks but as the world wherein notwithstanding there are a swarm of distinct essences and in them another world of contrarieties we carry private and domestic enemies within, public and more hostile adversaries without. The devil that did but buffet St. Paul plays, methinks, at sharp with me. Let me be nothing if within the compass of myself I do not find the battle of Lepanto, passion against reason, reason against faith, faith against the devil, and my conscience against all. There is another man within me that's angry with me, rebukes commands and dastards me i have no conscience of marble to resist the hammer of more heavy offences nor yet so soft and waxen as to take the impression of each single peccadillo or scape of infirmity i am of a strange belief that it is as easy to be forgiven some sins as to commit some others for my original sin i hold it to be washed away in my baptism for my actual transgressions I compute and reckon with God, but from my last repentance, sacrament, or general absolution, and therefore am not terrified with the sins or madness of my youth. I thank the goodness of God, I have no sins that want a name. I am not singular in offences. My transgressions are epidemical, and from the common breath of our corruption. For there are certain tempers of body which, matched with a humorous depravity of mind, do hath and produce viciosities, whose newness and monstrosity of nature admits no name. This was the temper of that lecher that carnaled with a statua, and the constitution of Nero in his spintrian recreations. For the heavens are not only fruitful in new and unheard-of stars, the earth in plants and animals, but men's minds also in villainy and vices. Now the dullness of my reason, and the vulgarity of my disposition, never prompted my invention nor solicited my affection unto any of these yet even those common and quotidian infirmities that so necessarily attend me and do seem to be my very nature have so dejected me so broken the estimation that i should have otherwise of myself that i repute myself the most abject piece of mortality divines prescribe a fit of sorrow to repentance there goes indignation anger sorrow hatred into mine passions of a contrary nature 
which neither seem to suit with this action, nor my proper constitution. It is no breach of charity to ourselves to be at variance with our vices, nor to abhor that part of us which is an enemy to the ground of charity, our God, wherein we do but imitate our great selves, the world, whose divided antipathies and contrary faces do yet carry a charitable regard unto the whole, by their particular discords preserving the common harmony, and keeping in fetters those powers whose rebellions, once masters, might be the ruin of all. Section 8 I thank God, amongst those millions of vices I do inherit and hold from Adam, I have escaped one, and that a mortal enemy to charity, the first and farther sin not only of man, but of the devil, pride, a vice whose name is comprehended in a monosyllable, but in its nature not circumscribed with the world. I have escaped it in a condition that can hardly avoid it. Those petty acquisitions and reputed perfections, that advance and elevate the conceits of other men, add no feathers unto mine. I have seen a grammarian tower and plume himself over a single line in Horace, and show more pride in the construction of one ode than the author in the composure of the whole book. For my own part, besides the jargon and patois of several provinces, I understand no less than six languages. Yet I protest I have no higher conceit of myself than had our fathers before the confusion of Babel, when there was but one language in the world, and none to boast himself either linguist or critic. I have not only seen several countries, beheld the nature of their climes, the chorography of their provinces, topography of their cities, but understood their several laws, customs, and policies, yet cannot all this persuade the dullness of my spirit, unto such an opinion of myself as I behold in nimbler and conceited heads, that never looked a degree beyond their nests. I know the names, and somewhat more, of all the constellations in my horizon, yet I have seen a prating mariner, that could only name the pointers and the north star, out-talk me, and conceit himself a whole sphere above me. I know most of the plants of my country, and of those about me, yet methinks I do not know so many as when I did but know a hundred, and had scarcely ever simpled further than Cheapside, for indeed heads of capacity, and such as are not full with a handful or easy measure of knowledge, think they know nothing till they know all, which being impossible, they fall upon the opinion of Socrates, and only know they know not anything. I cannot think that Homer pined away upon the riddle of the fishermen, or that Aristotle, who understood the uncertainty of knowledge, and confessed so often the reason of man too weak for the works of nature, did ever drown himself upon the flux and reflux of Europus. We do but learn to-day what our better advanced judgments will unteach to-morrow, and Aristotle doth but instruct us, as Plato did him, that is, to confute himself. I have run through all sorts, yet find no rest in any, though our first studies and junior endeavours may style us peripatetics, stoics or academics. Yet I perceive the wisest heads prove, at last, almost all sceptics, and stand like Janus in the field of knowledge. I have therefore one common and authentic philosophy I learned in the schools, whereby I discourse and satisfy the reason of other men, another more reserved and drawn from experience, whereby I content mine own. Solomon, that complained of ignorance in the height of knowledge, hath not only humbled my conceits, but discouraged my endeavours. 
there is yet another conceit that hath sometimes made me shut my books which tells me it is a vanity to waste our days in the blind pursuit of knowledge it is but attending a little longer and we shall enjoy that by instinct and infusion which we endeavour at here by labour and inquisition it is better to sit down in a modest ignorance and rest contented with the natural blessing of our own reasons than by the uncertain knowledge of this life with sweat and vexation which death gives every fool gratis and is an accessory of our glorification section nine i was never yet once and commend their resolutions who never marry twice not that i disallow of second marriage as neither in all cases of polygamy which considering sometimes and the unequal number of both sexes may be also necessary the whole world was made for man but the twelfth part of man for woman man is the whole world and the breath of god woman the rib and crooked piece of man i could be content that we might procreate like trees without conjunction or that there were any way to perpetuate the world without this trivial and vulgar way of coition it is the foolishest act a wise man commits in all his life nor is there anything that will more deject his cooled imagination when he shall consider what an odd and unworthy piece of folly he hath committed i speak not in prejudice nor am averse from that sweet sex but naturally amorous of all that is beautiful i can look a whole day with delight upon a handsome picture though it be but of an horse it is my temper and i like it the better to affect all harmony and sure there is music even in the beauty and the silent note which cupid strikes far sweeter than the sound of an instrument for there is a music wherever there is a harmony order or proportion and thus far we may maintain the music of the spheres for those well-ordered motions and regular paces though they give no sound unto the ear yet to the understanding they strike a note most full of harmony whatsoever is harmonically composed delights in harmony which makes me much distrust the symmetry of those heads which declaim against all church music for myself not only from my obedience but my particular genius i do embrace it for even that vulgar and tavern music which makes one man merry another mad strikes in me a deep fit of devotion and a profound contemplation of the first composer there is something in it of divinity more than the ear discovers it is an hieroglyphical and shadowed lesson of the whole world and creatures of god such a melody to the ear as the whole world well understood would afford the understanding in brief it is a sensible fit of that harmony which intellectually sounds in the ears of god i will not say with plato the soul is an harmony but harmonical and hath its nearest sympathy unto music thus some whose temper of body agrees and humours the constitution of their souls are born poets though indeed all are naturally inclined unto rhythm this made tacitus in the very first line of his story fall upon a verse urbem aromam in principio reges habuere and cicero the worst of poets but declaiming for a poet falls in the very first sentence upon a perfect hexameter in qua me non inferior mediocrite esse pro archia poeta i feel not in me those sordid and unchristian desires of my profession i do not secretly implore and wish for plagues rejoice at famines revolve ephemerids and almanacs 
in expectation of malignant aspects, fatal conjunctions and eclipses. I rejoice not at unwholesome springs nor unseasonable winters. My prayer goes with the husbandman's. I desire everything in its proper season, that neither men nor the times be out of temper. Let me be sick myself, if sometimes the malady of my patient be not a disease unto me. I desire rather to cure his infirmities than my own necessities. Where I do him no good, methinks it is scarce honest gain, though I confess tis but the worthy salary of our well-intended endeavours. I am not only ashamed, but heartily sorry that, besides death, there are diseases incurable. Yet not for my own sake, or that they be beyond my art, but for the general cause and sake of humanity, whose common cause I apprehend as mine own. And, to speak more generally, those three noble professions, which all civil commonwealths do honour, are raised upon the fall of Adam, and are not any way exempt from their infirmities. There are not only diseases incurable in physic, but cases indissolvable in law, vices incorrigible in divinity. If general counsels may err, I do not see why particular courts should be infallible. Their perfectest rules are raised upon the erroneous reasons of man, and the laws of one do but condemn the rules of another, as Aristotle oft-times the opinions of his predecessors, because though agreeable to reason, yet were not consonant to his own rules, and the logic of his proper principles. Again, to speak nothing of the sin against the Holy Ghost, whose cure not only, but whose nature is unknown. I can cure the gout or stone in some, sooner than divinity, pride or avarice in others. I can cure vices by physic, when they remain incurable by divinity, and they shall obey my pills when they contemn their precepts. I boast nothing but plainly say, we all labour against our own cure, for death is the cure of all diseases. There is no catholicon or universal remedy I know but this, which, though nauseous to queasy stomachs, yet to prepared appetites is nectar, and a pleasant potion of immortality. Section 10 For my conversation it is like the sun's with all men, and with a friendly aspect to good and bad. Methinks there is no man bad, and the worst best, that is, while they are kept within the circle of those qualities wherein they are good. There is no man's mind of so discordant and jarring a temper, to which a tunable disposition may not strike a harmony. Magnae virtutes, nec minora vitia. It is the posy of the best natures, and may be inverted on the worst. There are, in the most depraved and venomous dispositions, certain pieces that remain untouched, which, by an antiperistasis, become more excellent, or by the excellency of the antipathies, are able to preserve themselves from the contagion of their enemy vices and persist entire beyond the general corruption. For it is also thus in nature. The greatest balsams do lie enveloped in the bodies of the most powerful corrosives. I say, moreover, and I ground upon experience, that poisons contain within themselves their own antidote, and that which preserves them from the venom of themselves, without which they were not deleterious to others only, but to themselves also. But it is the corruption that I fear within me, not the contagion of commerce without me. Tis that unruly regiment within me that will destroy me. Tis that I do infect myself. The man without a navel yet lives in me. I feel that original canker corrode and devour me, and therefore defenda me Dios de me. Lord, deliver me from myself, 
is a part of my litany, and the first voice of my retired imaginations. There is no man alone, because every man is a microcosm, and carries the whole world about him. Nunquam minus solus quam cum solus. Cicero. Though it be the apothem of a wise man, is yet true in the mouth of a fool. For indeed, though in a wilderness a man is never alone, not only because he is with himself and his own thoughts, but because he is with the devil, whoever consorts with our solitude, and is that unruly rebel that musters up those disordered motions which accompany our sequestered imaginations. And to speak more narrowly, there is no such thing as solitude, nor anything that can be said to be alone and by itself, but God, who is his own circle and can subsist by himself. All others, besides their dissimilary and heterogeneous parts, which in a manner multiply their natures, cannot subsist without the concourse of God, and the society of that hand which doth uphold their natures. In brief, there can be nothing truly alone, and by itself, which is not truly one, and such is only God. All others do transcend an unity, and so by consequence are many. Section 11 Now for my life it is a miracle of thirty years, which to relate were not a history but a piece of poetry, and would sound to common ears like a fable. For the world I count it not an inn, but an hospital, and a place not to live, but to die in. The world that I regard is myself. It is the microcosm of my own frame that I cast mine eye on. For the other I use it but like my globe, and turn it round sometimes for my recreation. Men that look upon my outside, perusing only my condition and fortunes, do err in my altitude, for I am above Atlas's shoulders. The earth is a point not only in respect of the heavens above us, but of the heavenly and celestial part within us. That mass of flesh that circumscribes me limits not my mind. That surface that tells the heavens it hath an end cannot persuade me I have any. I take my circle to be above three hundred and sixty. Though the number of the ark do measure my body, it comprehendeth not my mind. Whilst I study to find how I am a microcosm or little world, I find myself something more than the great. There is surely a piece of divinity in us, something that was before the elements, and owes no homage unto the sun. Nature tells me I am the image of God, as well as Scripture. He that understands not thus much hath not his introduction or first lesson, and is yet to begin the alphabet of man. Let me not injure the felicity of others, if I say I am as happy as any. Ruat celum fiat voluntas tua, salveth all. So that whatsoever happens, it is but what our daily prayers desire. In brief, I am content, and what should providence add more? Surely this is it we call happiness and this do I enjoy. With this I am happy in a dream, and as content to enjoy a happiness in a fancy, as others in a more apparent truth and reality. There is surely a nearer apprehension of anything that delights us in our dreams, than in our waked senses. Without this I were unhappy, for my awaked judgment discontents me, ever whispering unto me that I am from my friend, but my friendly dreams in the night requite me, and make me think I am within his arms. I thank God for my happy dreams, as I do for my good rest, for there is a satisfaction in them unto reasonable desires, and such as can be content with a fit of happiness. And surely it is not a melancholy conceit to think 
we are all asleep in this world and that the conceits of this life are as mere dreams to those of the next as the phantasms of the night to the conceits of the day there is an equal delusion in both and the one doth but seem to be the emblem or picture of the other we are somewhat more than ourselves in our sleeps and the slumber of the body seems to be but the waking of the soul it is the legation of sense but the liberty of reason and our waking conceptions do not match the fancies of our sleeps at my nativity my ascendant was in the watery sign of scorpio i was born in the planetary hour of saturn and i think i have a piece of that leaden planet in me i am no way facetious nor disposed for the mirth and galliardise of company yet in one dream i can compose a whole comedy behold the action apprehend the jests and laugh myself awake at the conceits thereof were my memory as faithful as my reason is then fruitful i would never study but in my dreams and this time also would i choose for my devotions but our grosser memories have then so little hold of our abstracted understandings that they forget the story and can only relate to our awake souls a confused and broken tale of that which hath passed aristotle who hath written a singular tract of sleep hath not methinks thoroughly defined it nor yet galen though he seemed to have corrected it for those noctambulos and night-walkers though in their sleep do yet enjoy the action of their senses we must therefore say that there is something in us that is not in the jurisdiction of morpheus and that those abstracted and ecstatic souls do walk about in their own corpses as spirits with the bodies they assume wherein they seem to hear see and feel though indeed the organs are destitute of sense and their natures of those faculties that should inform them thus it is observed that men sometimes upon the hour of their departure do speak and reason above themselves for then the soul beginning to be freed from the ligaments of the body begins to reason like herself and to discourse in a strain above mortality section twelve we term sleep a death and yet it is waking that kills us and destroys those spirits that are the house of life tis indeed a part of life that best expresseth death for every man truly lives so long as he acts his nature or some way makes good the faculties of himself themistocles therefore that slew his soldier in his sleep was a merciful executioner tis a kind of punishment the mildness of no laws hath invented i wonder the fancy of lucan and seneca did not discover it it is that death by which we may be literally said to die daily a death which adam died before his mortality a death whereby we live a middle and moderating point between life and death in fine so like death i dare not trust it without my prayers and an half adieu unto the world and take my farewell in a colloquy with god the night is come like to the day depart not thou great god away let not my sins black as the night eclipse the lustre of thy light keep still in my horizon for to me the sun makes not the day but thee thou whose nature cannot sleep on my temples sentry keep guard me gainst those watchful foes whose eyes are open while mine close let no dreams my head infest but such as jacob's temples blest while i do rest my soul advance 
make my sleep a holy trance that i may my rest being wrought awake into some holy thought and with as active figure run my course as doth the nimble sun sleep is a death oh make me try by sleeping what it is to die and as gently lay my head on my grave as now my bed howe'er i rest great god let me awake again at last with thee and thus assured behold i lie securely or to wake or die these are my drowsy days in vain i do now wake to sleep again o come that hour when i shall never sleep again but wake for ever this is the dormitive i take to bedward i need no other laudanum than this to make me sleep after which i close mine eyes in security content to take my leave of the sun and sleep unto the resurrection section thirteen the method i should use in distributive justice i often observe in commutative and keep a geometrical proportion in both whereby becoming equable to others i become unjust to myself and supererogate in that common principle do unto others as thou wouldst be done unto thyself i was not born unto riches neither is it i think my star to be wealthy or if it were the freedom of my mind and frankness of my disposition were able to contradict and cross my fates for to me avarice seems not so much a vice as a deplorable piece of madness to conceive ourselves urinals or be persuaded that we are dead is not so ridiculous nor so many degrees beyond the power of hellebore as this the opinions of theory and positions of men are not so void of reason as their practised conclusions some have held that snow is black that the earth moves that the soul is air fire water but all this is philosophy and there is no delirium if we do but speculate the folly and indisputable dotage of avarice to that subterraneous idol and god of the earth i do confess i am an atheist i cannot persuade myself to honour that the world adores whatsoever virtue its prepared substance may have within my body it hath no influence nor operation without i would not entertain a base design or an action that should call me villain for the indies and for this only do i love and honour my own soul and have me things two arms too few to embrace myself aristotle is too severe that will not allow us to be truly liberal without wealth and the bountiful hand of fortune if this be true i must confess i am charitable only in my liberal intentions and bountiful well-wishers but if the example of the might be not only an act of wonder but an example of the noblest charity surely poor men may also build hospitals and the rich alone have not erected cathedrals i have a private method which others observe not i take the opportunity of myself to do good i borrow occasion of charity from my own necessities and supply the wants of others when i am in most need myself for it is an honest stratagem to take advantage of ourselves and so to husband the acts of virtue that where they are defective in one circumstance they may repay their want and multiply their goodness in another i have not peru in my desires but a competence and ability to perform those good works to which he hath inclined my nature he is rich who hath enough to be charitable 
and it is hard to be so poor that a noble mind may not find a way to this piece of goodness he that giveth to the poor lendeth to the lord there is more rhetoric in that one sentence than in a library of sermons and indeed if those sentences were understood by the reader with the same emphasis as they are delivered by the author we needed not those volumes of instructions but might be honest by an epitome upon this motive only i cannot behold a beggar without relieving his necessities with my purse or his soul with my prayers these scenical and accidental differences between us cannot make me forget that common and untouched part of us both there is under these centos and miserable outsides those mutilate and semi-bodies a soul of the same alloy with our own whose genealogy is god's as well as ours and in as fair a way to salvation as ourselves statists that labour to contrive a commonwealth without our poverty take away the object of charity not understanding only the commonwealth of a christian but forgetting the prophecy of christ the poor ye have always with you section fourteen now there is another part of charity which is the basis and pillar of this and that is the love of god for whom we love our neighbour for this i think charity to love god for himself and our neighbour for god and all that is truly amiable is god or as it were a divided piece of him that retains a reflex or shadow of himself nor is it strange that we should place affection on that which is invisible all that we truly love is thus what we adore under affection of our senses deserves not the honour of so pure a title thus we adore virtue though to the eyes of sense she be invisible thus that part of our noble friends that we love is not that part that we embrace but that insensible part that our arms cannot embrace god being all goodness can love nothing but himself he loves us but for that part which is as it were himself and the traduction of his holy spirit let us call to a size the loves of our parents the affection of our wives and children and they are all dumb shows and dreams without reality truth or constancy for first there is a strong bond of affection between us and our parents yet how easily dissolved we betake ourselves to a woman forgetting our mother in a wife and the womb that bare us in that which shall bear our image this woman blessing us with children our affection leaves the level it held before and sinks from our bed unto our issue and picture of posterity where affection holds no steady mansion they growing up in years desire our ends or applying themselves to a woman take a lawful way to love another better than ourselves thus i perceive a man may be buried alive and behold his grave in his own issue section fifteen i conclude therefore and say there is no happiness under or as copernicus who holds that the sun is the centre of the world will have it above the sun nor any cram in that repeated verity and burthen of all the wisdom of solomon all is vanity and vexation of spirit there is no felicity in that the world adores aristotle whilst he labours to refute the ideas of plato falls upon one himself for his summum bonum is a chimera and there is no such thing as his felicity that wherein god himself is happy the holy angels are happy in whose defect the devils are unhappy that dare i call happiness whatsoever conduceth unto this 
may with an easy metaphor deserve that name whatsoever else the world terms happiness is to me a story out of pliny a tale of boccaccio or malizpini an apparition or neat delusion wherein there is no more of happiness than the name bless me in this life with but the peace of my conscience command of my affections the love of thyself and my dearest friends and i shall be happy enough to pity caesar these are o lord the humble desires of my most reasonable ambition and all i dare call happiness on earth wherein i set no rule or limit to thy hand or providence dispose of me according to the wisdom of thy pleasure thy will be done though in my own undoing end of religio medici by thomas brown